coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to talk some Georgia football is my co-host, Curtis. And today, our goal is to take maybe a little bit more of a critical look at our 2020 football team. You guys know how it is in the offseason. It's hope springs eternal for every team in America. Well... Just about every team, I guess. I'm not sure the Vanderbilts and the Georgia Techs of the world, those kind of programs, I'm not sure they actually think they have any realistic shot to do anything meaningful. But for most programs and their fan bases, this is the time of year where you're jacked up for the new season. You're convinced this is the year. You spend the whole offseason emphasizing your team's strengths while, of course, downplaying or in a lot of cases, let's be real, just flat out ignoring any potential question marks. You exaggerate the talent of your players. You really think you have a chance this year. And we're, we're all guilty of this from time to time, including Curtis and I. I'm certainly not absolving myself from any guilt of the same thing that a lot of people are guilty of. We try our best on this show to be as objective as we possibly can. And I think, generally speaking, we do a pretty good job of that. But we're also human. And... It happens sometimes, man. That promise of a new season and a fresh start, it really is. It's intoxicating. And kind of that passionate desire for this to be the year for a title run in our case or maybe in another program's case, the desire for this to be the year for your program to to maybe take a step forward or for this to be the year if you're Tennessee maybe that you can finally say your program is back after all those years spent in the darkness But wherever your program is, whatever stage your program is in, that desire for something better, that hope, it can lead you to overestimate your team's ability going into a new season. And look, I've been very open throughout this entire offseason about my belief that this 2020 Georgia football team has a very legitimate shot to win a national title. It's certainly no guarantee, but I think we certainly are going to contend very strongly for that title. And I still firmly believe that, but today is the day where we're going to examine some of those assumptions. We're going to throw some cold water on that idea. Again, not that I don't believe it to still be the case that we are going to be a contender this year, but today we're going to spotlight and discuss some of the factors that could potentially prevent us from making that title run, whether it's to the SEC title or to the bigger title, that national title, that very elusive national title. So I guess in some ways, this is kind of like the anti-Homer show, but I think this is a healthy exercise. I mean, hey, our football team does this. All football teams do this. It's called self-scouting, where you take a critical look at yourself and try to figure out, okay, what do we not do well? Or what are our tendencies that teams might be able to capitalize on? Where are we vulnerable? And that's kind of how you shore up any potential deficiencies. Now, obviously, us talking on this show has no bearing on what our team is going to do. But still, regardless, whatever you're doing in life, it's good to kind of just take a step back, analyze what you believe, and determine kind of whether you really should believe those things that you are putting out there, whether they really merit the belief that you are putting into them. So, That is the main focus of today's show. 
But first, before we do that, we have a scrimmage to discuss, which is an awesome thing to be able to just say, honestly, right now. So we had our first scrimmage of fall camp on Saturday. I know all you guys know that. And we're not going to break down the entire thing because obviously we were not there. We are not among the chosen ones who get to attend such things. But we were able to pump a few sources, read a few things. And there are a couple of things coming out of the scrimmage over the weekend that we thought were worth discussing on the show today. Again, not everything, but just a couple of things that kind of caught our attention. And Kerr, I want to start here. Probably the most surprising thing I was told about the scrimmage was that six foot seven, 310 pound redshirt sophomore Owen Condon was taking the majority of the reps with the first team at right tackle during the scrimmage. So, Kurt, how surprised are you that it's Condon right now running with the first team at right tackle? Um, I'm actually very, very surprised. Um, you know, even when we took him, there was a lot of question marks. Why did we take this guy? Because I believe even when we took him, he was recuperating from another, you know, another one of those torn ACLs. Um, so, I mean, to me, it's a very big surprise, especially like going into the offseason. Off all you heard was Xavier Trust and the potential that maybe Warren McClendon would push him, that those were the two names that were being talked about the most. That Con- I mean, let's be honest, when we took Condon, a lot of people just wrote it, wrote it off to, you know, he'd be a career bench player. I mean, I'm not going to say that I completely did that, but like in the back of my mind, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, anything that we get out of this guy is gravy, right? Yeah, have- like almost, almost like you knew he'd be here for like five years, depending if he took a red shirt or not. And you were just like, he'll give you some great depth. Yeah, like one of those guys, maybe by the time he's a redshirt junior or senior, maybe he can slide in there into a role if, if a spot opens up. But I'm not going to count on it. Like that's the kind of guy that I thought we were getting here. And look, there wasn't a ton of tape on him coming out of high school. So it's tough to tell you, right, he had the injury situation. So it was just tough to know. And you look at all the other four and five-star guys that we were recruiting. It wasn't that he was a bad player. It's just that, oh, we're getting this four-star guy, this five-star guy. And yeah, Condon's a good player, but is he ever going to play over those guys? So to yeah, his credit, he came in, I believe in that class when Sam Pittman was on fire and like yeah. Condon was like the lowest rated guy. And like you said, the injury. So like he just wasn't very talked about because he wasn't like a big get for us. Yeah, he was in that 2018 recruiting class. And you're right. He was just kind of down the list. There he wasn't one of the, the high profile guys. So he kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. And I, I, I will say I love stories like this. I love guys like this that don't come in with the highest ranking, not the most prolific high school player necessarily kind of under the radar, and they just come in, kind of maybe a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and they just get to work, man. They put their head down. Kind of like Eric Stokes, right? Like you put your head down, you get to work, you improve. Eric Stokes literally went from being burnt in three days to killing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love guys like this. So I'm excited for him. I mean, look, I want the best guy to play. I don't necessarily have a a guy that's like, hey, he's my favorite player. I want him to win the job. I want the best guy to win the job, and you're right. We thought for, for a little while there, it was, it was Xavier Trust kind of getting some mentions behind the scene. Then Warren McClendon can start to hear his name a little bit more. Then Broderick Jones gets on campus as a true freshman, a five-star guy. You hear really good things about him until he has kind of like a little motorcycle accident. It was a motorcycle, what, dirt bike, something kind of accident. And you start to hear some things about Tate Rattledge, who's a guy that I was really high on also coming out of high school this year. And Condon was kind of a guy that, honestly, like we did our position battle show. Was it last week, Kurt? Or two weeks ago, maybe? And yeah. Yeah, we, we talked about right tackle a lot because I think we both said like that was the most wide open of the positions on the offensive line. And we did not even mention Condon, did we? No, not at all. I mean, it's all Tate Ratledge, uh, like we said, uh, Trust and McClendon, really. Yeah, we, we didn't mention him. And so like, I feel like an idiot, honestly, but like he, he kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone was really talking about him. 
So even but, Kirby, when he talked about it in the in the press conference, kind of was, it wasn't like it was something he came in expecting, more or less. Yeah, it, exactly. It sounded a lot like if you guys listen to the press conference or the the Zoom press conference, whatever you want to call it. it when Kirby was talking about Con, he kind of sounded like he was surprised. Like, hey, he's been a really big surprise for us. He's come on and and uh, and and again to his credit, like he's just gone to work, and I love it. And like we, we hadn't seen this guy. I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore now. We hadn't seen him basically in two years. I think he played. In the Arkansas State game last year, I'm not sure he played in another game outside of that game. So there just wasn't – we didn't have much to go on because we're not at practice. We don't get to see these guys in action at practice. So it, it, it was kind of surprising, actually more than kind of surprising. But good for him. That's awesome. I certainly don't think the battle is over. They're going to continue on. But it was very, very surprising to hear Condon's name as the guy who's running with the first-team right tackle right at, at first first-team right tackle right now. So uh, good for him, and we'll kind of keep an eye on that, obviously – as we continue on through the rest of fall camp. Now, another thing that I was told, Kurt, and I, I think you probably heard the same thing as me, was that both Jamie Newman and JT Daniels were receiving reps with the first-team offense. I also heard Dwan Mathis got a series. That's what I was told. I think it was a red zone series. But it was mainly Newman and Daniels, from my understanding. Kurt, does that surprise you, that Newman and Daniels – I not – I asked, like, were they, like, splitting 50-50? And I was told, no, it wasn't quite 50-50, but Daniels was getting a lot of work. Uh, so, did that surprise you, Kurt, that Newman hasn't quite pulled away yet? It's still early. No, not at all. I mean, like, it's early. Like, you know, especially in a lot of these scrimmages, especially when you don't have, a, like, a spring game and stuff, you've got to get all these guys as many reps as possible, especially when someone like Newman has never played in the SEC and you know he's going to be running the ball. There is a potential of injury for him. And with that being the potential, you have to have someone like JT Daniels ready to go at all times. And, I mean, in his own right, too, he's a great quarterback. So, they're both really good quarterbacks, so I think, like especially right now, as you're trying to work in, you've got it. And and not only are you like working in a new quarterback, but you're also working in a new system. So he's going to look at every little, like almost literally every option that he possibly has to go with. Absolutely. And when we heard Todd Munkin talk about the quarterbacks in his preseason press conference last week, like he talked really highly of both of these guys. And look, that's kind of, that could be coach talk. Sure, obviously, coaches aren't going to down. You know, they're not going to kill their players right now in fall camp. That's just not going to happen publicly. But it did sound like he was pretty sincere and said, "Like I like both these guys." And they didn't say it like outright like that. Because yeah, I'll be and, honest, they're not. They're, neither of them are the same quarterback too. So they all bring different stuff to the table. Yeah, and then that's kind. Of, that's exactly. That's kind of what Munkin was saying. He was saying like, look. Newman throws the ball better than people think, and Daniels is more athletic than people think. And that's what I told you guys about JT Daniels when we signed him. He's not like a, a Jamie Newman type athlete, but he's certainly capable of, of making things happen with his legs and extending plays, getting outside the pocket, throwing on the run, all those kind of things. And Newman does have a very strong arm. He's very accurate down the field. We've talked about that all offseason. So the way he was just talking about both of them, I got the feeling that he liked both of those guys. So I'm not surprised right now that they're both getting reps with the ones. Now, Daniels, as Kirby made clear in his press conference after the scrimmage, is still not cleared for a game. He's cleared to practice and scrimmage. He just can't take contact right now. So I don't I don't think that's going to hold him back right now. Now, if we get into like the week before the season and he still hasn't been cleared, then yeah, that's certainly, or the two weeks before the season even, that's certainly going to work against him. But right now, like they don't have to make that decision right now. So I wasn't surprised he's getting reps with the ones right now. And look, I think there is a segment of the fan base, Kurt, that's convinced Jamie Newman is just like he's the guy this season. Like no questions asked, like he's the guy. And that any talk of a Corbett battle is kind of just for appearances' sake. And I've asked you this question before, but now that we're into fall camp, I'm going to ask you again: How legitimate do you think this quarterback battle is right now? Like, is it really a battle, or are we kind of just getting Daniels ready in case something happens to Newman? 
Um, I, mean, I think it is a legitimate battle. I don't want to take anything away from Jane, Daniels or Newman both. Um, but if I had to think of someone going into it right now, that it, you know, it's, it's not that any of our guys are penciled in, really. It's just the fact that I think Newman has got the slight edge in general, um, the way things are going. But um, I definitely think Daniels could push and, you know, something could change because, you know, for all those times when it was from versus Eason or from versus Fields and stuff, you had someone that was established. And at this point, there's not a single established person. So it really is open. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I When you bring in two guys as transfers, I, I I think when we brought Newman in initially, it was like, yeah, we brought him in with the plan that he was going to be the guy. But then you bring in another transfer. He gets his eligibility immediately. Then it's like, okay. Well, not only that, Newman's a great guy that's experienced, but Daniels has experience. And also, if he hadn't reclassified, would have been the number one player in his class. Yeah. Okay. Daniels has not been in college as long as Newman, but in terms of starting experience, he has just as much experience starting football games as Jamie Newman does. I know he didn't play any last year, so that's certainly, you know, there might be some rust he's working out there, especially coming off the ACL injury. But in terms of like just flat out starting experience, he has just about as much experience starting football games as Jamie Newman does. So, and look, Jamie Daniels is an incredibly talented quarterback, but so is Jamie Newman. Uh, but I, as I've said before right now, I'm still saying I think Jamie Newman's the guy until I hear something otherwise. Because I'm not at practice. I can't see what they're looking like right now. I'm just kind of relying on some other people that do get to see things a little bit more than I do. But um, just based off what I know going into this season and where we are right now, I still say Newman's the guy. But again, I, I'm not saying that JT Daniels is out of, out of this battle. I do think it's a battle. I absolutely do. Kirby will make it make that the case. And uh, I think Newman it will be pushed by JT Daniels. I just think ultimately with his ability to push the ball down the field vertically right now, the fact that he might not have as much, much rust missing the entire season last year like JT Daniels did, and also what he can do with his legs in the quarterback run game, I think it might give our offense another dimension. Well, the so fact right that now, Newman, before, before Corona hit, or COVID, whatever you want to call it, Newman at least got to throw to the receivers like before practice started, like in January and February. He was able to at least work out with them. Yeah. I mean, look, you didn't get any reps of the playbook in terms of like being out there spring practice, but at least you have access to the playbook and you're able to kind of just study it throughout those those early months of, the, of 2020. So I think that does give him maybe a slight leg up, certainly not the leg up that he would have had if he got to go through spring spring drills. But I do think he might have a slight leg up right now if you factor everything in there. But again, I don't think Daniels is going is to take this line down. I think he's going to fight. And I think it's going to be a very interesting battle the rest of the way here as we get closer and closer to this 2020 season. But all right, there was more coming out of the scrimmage, but some of that fits into our discussion today of the major question marks for this Georgia team. So we're going to get to them as they come up. And the way we did this, like we try to make this as simple as we could. Like we initially we were just going to each have our own list. We're going to run through the list. Kirby do his list and I would do my list. But then I just seemed like that was that would be weird. So what we did is we first came up with a list of five questions and or concerns about this Georgia football team. Then we each ranked those questions and concerns individually before then combining our rankings to yield one final list. And we've done things like this before, so if you've been with us for a while, you know what we're doing here. And if, if you're new to the show, it's pretty simple. You'll figure it out as we go through this. So we're going to start at number five here, which is the newly restructured offensive line. We're saying this is our fifth biggest concern or question mark heading into the 2020 season. We all know we've lost our bookend tackles who were both selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Andrew Thomas is a top five guy. Cade Mays has transferred out. Solomon Kinley also got drafted in the fourth round. Heck, he's already getting reps of the ones in Miami right now. So great for him. That's awesome to hear. So a lot of production off of that 2019 offensive line, it's gone. It's gone. And so is the architect of that offensive line, Sam Pittman. He's now over in Fayetteville. So Kurt, we came up, again, we came up with this list of five questions and concerns about this Georgia team. And if you listen to the mainstream college football media, 
I'm, I feel like they would have the offensive line concerns based on, on the narratives out there way up this list, way higher than where we have it. So why aren't you maybe as concerned about the offensive line this year as some others out there are? Well, a lot of them have this misconception that, yeah, we lost a lot of players, but a lot of them failed to take into account the caliber of players they've been recruiting. Um, and So I think they look for experience while not looking at the type of players that we have filling in. I mean, two years ago, you know, the first year offensive line started taking off. We started a true freshman at right tackle. Um, and, you know, even the, the next year, there was not a lot of experience on the O-line the last couple of years. Um, well, last year there was, but the year before you had Isaiah Wilson starting for the first time ever. Kinley was really trying to solidify himself. So I, I think that it's just a misconception that we don't have as much experience in games returning as much as they aren't looking at the type of players that we're able to put out there. Yes, I th- there's absolutely, like, they're conflating experience with talent. Sure, experience is great. It, it's great. It's great to have guys that have, that have played a lot of football before. That, that's certainly great. But I think that's a luxury. I think talent is much – I've always said this. Talent is much more important than experience. Give me the more talented guy over the more experienced guy all day long if, if the talent gap is, is, is pretty dramatic between them. Obviously, you would love to have a highly talented and highly experienced guy like Andrew Thomas last year. That's when you have like a, a top five NFL draft pick, but that's not always the case. And if your choice is between experience and talent, give me the talent. And I think you're right. That's where we are right now. We don't have all the experience outside of maybe Trey Hill, but we have a lot of highly, highly talented players. If you're looking at Jamari Salyer, he was a top 10 recruit nationally when he came out of high school. Trey Hill was a top 60-ish level guy. Ben Cleveland's a top 100 guy. And... And then the ones that were uh, a three-star like Owen Condon, yeah, he might have only been a three-star coming out of high school, but he was seems like he was pretty clearly underrated because he's beating out other four- and five-star guys right now. So I think the talent is there, as you said. And that's a, that's, that's a huge starting point. Like You've got to have that. And I'm, I'm somewhat put at ease that we do have a lot of talent to work with right now. Now, I will say it can be an adjustment with a new offensive line coach when, when Sam Pittman's leaving, you're working in Matt Luke. But I would say it's not as much of a shock to the system as, as a new offensive coordinator. I think that's much more of a shock to your overall system than just an, a, a new position coach. And, the, and also the factor in Matt Luke was here in December. I think that helps too. He's not like he was just getting here for the first time like after the national championship game and he was trying to get here and work with the guys in spring drills. Now he wasn't working with them a ton, but he got to work with the guys in December before the, uh, before the bowl game. So there's at least a little bit of familiarity there, not a ton, but it's better than nothing. Uh, and having no spring practice that it does admittedly hurt. But again, I don't think having a new offensive line coaches is, is as big of a deal position coaches, guys, they come and they go. And that's, 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 that's nothing necessarily new. And I do like the fact that I think we have a lot of guys that are in competition for these spots. Not only do I think they're talented, but there's a number of them. And I think that competition is going to push them to get better. As Kirby always says, iron sharpens well, iron. Well, that's the thing, too. Yeah, no one has solidified a position. But of all the guys that can come in there and take a position, there's not one that I don't – if they win the job, I, I sit here and I'm worried about them because they're all highly talented touted prospects so it's not like you can really go wrong with a single any of them that win a job i totally agree that's a great point that, that's a, that's kind of what i was saying earlier is like i i don't care who wins those jobs i want the best players to win and i'm confident that whoever ends up winning those five jobs are going to be good players because they're gonna have to beat out good players to earn that job so i, I feel pretty good about that I, i'm not saying I, I'm, I'm completely as confident and comfortable as i was coming into last year uh, and I'm not going to act as though we won't miss a beat with two first rounders gone at tackle and, and another likely NFL starter with Solomon Kinley. Like 
I'm not going to say we're not going to miss a beat, but here's the thing. I, I think some people, when they look at the situation, they look at it as kind of like a, like it's a, it's a binary situation, right? It's either your offensive line is going to be good or they're going to be bad. And there's no, no area in the middle that you can meet. There's either really good or really bad. And I just, I don't buy that. I do not buy into that. We might not be as good on the offensive line, but I don't think we're going to take this dramatic step back that some people are suggesting that might be the case this year. And I also throw this in there too. I think the scheme can help with with a change to a more spread tempo based attack. I think there's an argument that can be made that a dominant offensive line might not be as important. And so if our offensive line is maybe not as good this year, maybe it won't be as noticeable in during the games this season, because you have a different kind of scheme you're working with. The offensive line is maybe not as important. Like you st- obviously, you still have to have a, a good offensive line. Well, and the fact that you potentially have a mobile quarterback, things like that can help take pressure off your line. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Like, I mean, if you think about it, the pro-style system we had the, the past couple of years under Kirby, like that's predicated on strong offensive line play. Like if you don't have strong offensive line play in the pro-style system we were working, your offense can't function. And you still need good O-line play from for the spread attack, but that spread attack can mask deficiencies a little bit better by spreading the defense out. Like you said, Kurt, you know, having a, a quarterback run game where you're you're reading unblocked defenders, where you're actually having defenders that the offensive line doesn't even have to account for. They don't have to block. So you, you're not going to be outnumbered as consistently in the run game. The quarterback's going to be getting the ball out of his hands quicker. So I, I think all of those things and also potentially – help a new and maybe inexperienced offensive line kind of get its feet under him in the first part of the season. So like, I'm really not as – I'm not, I'm not going to say I, I I don't have any concerns at all with the offensive line because it's on the list, but it's certainly down the list. I mean, there's other things that I'm much more concerned about as opposed to some people who are looking at the offensive line as as their number one, number two concern for this team going into the season. So that's kind of where we are on that. And the next one here, number four, this might be a little bit of a surprise to some of you. Some of you might be surprised that it's even on the list at all. But our fourth biggest question about this 2020 Georgia football team is depth in the defensive backfield. Now, Curtis, when we came up with this list, when you did your individual rankings, this was actually at the bottom of your list of questions and concerns. So why isn't DB depth a big concern for you going into 2020? Because to me, it's very similar to the offensive line issues that people are just looking at experience, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, especially Ringo being out, that hurts and things. But I think we've got highly talented players that could step in and do it. I mean, you saw last year with Lewis Seen and people like that step in and make impacts from young young positions. So I think that we have to take all that into account. And that's why, especially anytime you're under Kirby Smart, I'm going to have faith in our DBs. Yeah, look, you're exactly right about that. With Kirby Smart back there, basically coaching the DBs, and Charlton Warren does a great job as well. I have a lot of confidence in, in the coach staff to get these guys ready. So I get why you might not be concerned, and I get why other people might be wondering, like, why in the world is this even on their list? Like, why are they worried about this at all? And my, my response to that would be like, okay, guys, look at the depth chart at Demons of Back right now. Yes, I love our starters. I love them to a man. I think our, our starting Demons of Backfield, honestly – might be as good as any team in the country. But that's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about what's behind them. I think there are big questions in the depth behind that first unit in the defensive backfield. Like we have seven guys. I, you know, I, I try to count these guys up. I think you have seven guys that I trust right now in the defensive backfield. And you might say, like, well, that sounds like a lot. Like that's seven guys you can trust. But that's seven guys for six positions. If you count two cornerbacks, 
two safeties, the star, and the money position when we bring our dime package out there. So that's six defensive back positions, six, six starting positions up for grab. I I like I, I feel confident in seven guys. I feel really good about Stokes, Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel, Mark Webb, Tyreek Stevenson, Richard Account, and Lewis Seen. I feel good about those seven. And that and hopefully that's enough. Because if we don't have injuries or anything like that, then then we're fine. Because that starting group is really, really, really good. So in, yeah, in a normal year, maybe this doesn't make the list. But here's why I'm a little bit concerned. In the era of COVID-19. With the prospect of some of these players potentially missing games due to testing positive for coronavirus, we simply cannot afford to have any DBs test positive. Like, obviously for their own health, but from a competitive standpoint on the field, if a couple of the, if one or a couple of those guys come down with coronavirus and they miss a game or two, we could be in trouble in the, in the defensive backfield because I don't know what our depth is like. I, I don't feel confident in the depth behind them. You mentioned Kurt, like Keely Ringo, his shoulder injury that hurts. Because with him, I feel a lot better because he's a guy that can play multiple positions. He's versatile, and he's highly talented. I'd feel pretty good there. Freshman, yeah, but I feel pretty good. I like guys like Jalen Kimber and Major Burns coming out of high school this year, but they're freshmen. They're freshmen. And this is where losing a guy like Devod Wilson comes in. And I think this hurts. Was Devod going to be a superstar for us this year? No, probably not. I think he probably would have filled the same role he did last year. He, he would have been right there battling with Tyreek Stevenson to be our starter in the money position, maybe in the star position with Webb. And he, maybe he doesn't start, but a guy like that with the experience he has, and he's a talented guy too, maybe not as talented as some of the other guys, but still a talented player, that guy is in, would be extraordinarily good for our depth right now. I'd feel a lot better if we had Devon Wilson still on the roster and if Keely Ringo wasn't injured right now with a shoulder surgery. But the fact is we don't have Devon Wilson. Keely Ringo is hurt. Jalen Kimmer, I'm high on what he can be. Major Burns, same thing, but they're freshmen. And I don't like counting on freshmen, especially in the defensive backfield where one, one misassignment can result in six for the other team. So that's why I'm concerned. You factor, I love the starters, but you factor in the COVID situation with injury to Ringo, losing Devon Wilson to transfer, and then the other guys are going to be counting on in the two deep are, are freshmen. That's concerning to me. So that's why it's there for me. I know some people might not be as concerned, but that depth chart, just uh, I'm a little uneasy with it at this point. So we'll see how that works. So hopefully it's not an issue. But okay, right smack dab in the middle of our list of questions and concerns for this 2020 Georgia football team is the wide receiver unit. Even with George Pickens, as good as he was last year, this unit was a problem in 2019, especially, obviously, when Lawrence Cajun went down with his injury. Kerr, you actually had the wide receivers rated a little higher as a concern than I did. I had this as my fourth biggest concern. You had it as your second biggest concern. So tell me why I should be more concerned about the wide receivers this season. I mean, the one thing that, you know, you have to take into account that you did is like as bad as the receivers were last year, they probably would have been better if we had had a better scheme and things like that. So you have to take that into account. But I I still think, especially losing Dominic Blaylock, there's just such a lack of experience and unproven things like Matt Landers relying on him, Tommy Bush, people like that to come in and do something, which they haven't done. Um, And, you know, outside of Pickens, it's not like we've really recruited receiver at a super – high rate let's be before honest. this last year I, I think this last year we did a great job but you're right before this last year it's just a lot of question marks and not only that I mean I will say I think the change in scheme will help because before we always ran a lot of option route schemes where they had to you know the quarterback and them had to be on the same page which is nice that we I don't believe that we're going to have that type of scheme this year so it'll be easier for these younger guys to step in and make an impact which they haven't been able to do as much uh, it's hard for young guys to step in and do those things with that offense that we were running um, so I think the new offense will help that, but I still think that 
there's just a lot of question marks. Yeah, there are question marks. I'm not going to disagree with you there at all. I just, I I think we have, we potentially have some answers there. And and also maybe making me feel a little bit better about things is, is one guy in particular, George Pickens, really kind of puts my, some of my concerns to rest there. Just the fact that we have him, but you're right. One guy is great, but you have to have some people to compliment him. So the teams can't just completely zero in on him and take him away. If you only have one guy, their teams are good enough in the SEC to take one guy away. So there, there, there is some concern there for sure, especially as you mentioned with the inexperience and some of these guys coming in as, as true freshmen we're probably going to be counting on t- to be some impact guys early on. And even guys like Karis Jackson, who played some last year, they're still not like, there's not a ton of experience there. Even though they got some playing time last year, a guy like Kiaris wasn't a, he didn't make a major impact last year. So he's, he's going to be expected to step into a new role. I have heard that he's coming on. That's another thing I, I heard coming out of the scrimmage that this guy continues to make strides and impress. So I'm, I'm high on what Kiaris Jackson can be. We still need, I still need to see it from Demetrius Robertson, but I do have more faith in him with Todd Munkin, as we talked about over the past couple of weeks. I'm really excited to see Tommy Bush in action now that he's back from the sports hernia injury that he dealt with all of last year. I still think he's a guy that has a chance to be an impact-type player for us. We haven't seen it yet. You're right, Kurt. There's an experience there, so it's tough to count on that. So there's certainly going to be some uneasiness there when you haven't seen him do it. But he's a guy that I've heard some good things about in the early parts of, of fall camp right now as well. And I do think at least one of our freshman wide receivers can step up and be a major contributor whether it's it's Jermaine Burton, who we've talked about a lot, uh, a guy that I heard a lot about over the past week, and, and I heard that I was told did some pretty good things in the scrimmage was Justin Robinson. We've talked about a lot about Marcus Rosamy, and I, I still believe he can be an, an impact guy too. But Justin Robinson sounds like he's starting to kind of make a little bit of a move as a guy that can at least be in the rotation at wide receiver this year. So I guess I'm not ready to call it a strength yet. But I do think the receivers are going to be much improved from last season. I think they're looking to benefit, as you said, Kurt, from from Todd Munkin and his system. And really also a quarterback that can push the ball vertically. I think the situation around them is a little bit different. I, th- I do think they were an issue last year, but I don't necessarily believe that they were put in the best situation offensively with the, you know, with the, with the offensive scheme and with a quarterback that had issues at times pushing the ball vertically on the field with a lot of accuracy. I think those things are fixed. So I do think they're in a better situation. And I think some of these young guys are going to come in with an influx of talent, and, and I think they're going to contribute for us. I think our, our receivers might not be elite this year, but I certainly think they're going to be better than last year. We'll be more productive in the passing game than we were last year. All right, but moving on, coming at number two on our list of questions and concerns about this Georgia team is something that I imagine a lot of people out there would have at number one, and that's the new offensive scheme. It's not the scheme itself necessarily that is the issue, but everything everything that goes along with implementing a brand-new offensive scheme with with a brand-new offensive coordinator. So, Kurt, why is this offensive scheme something that could hold – this Georgia team back from potentially winning an SEC or who knows, maybe even a national title this year. I mean, the offense is the, the biggest thing. I mean, we're just not sure the changes that are going to be made. I mean, let's be honest, we don't have, it's not like we've changed the, we know we are talking about the receivers, how there hasn't been as much changes in those. So the, a lot of the question marks, especially without a spring practice and time to really go through all the plays and really see what we have and everything is what type of changes to expect from Todd Munkin. That's going to make it different than what we did last year. Yeah, and we don't have a, a firm answer on that. From what I was told, just asking around a little bit from the people who, who got, got a chance to see the scrimmage, what I was told is that we're running with a lot more tempo, a, lo- a lot faster pace. We, we ran some empty sets, certainly not exclusively, but like how often were we empty last year at all? Like, I mean, I can't, on at the top of my head, I can't remember maybe a handful of times that we were in empty, uh, if any at all, honestly. I'm trying to think back to last year. 
Not a ton, um, but we saw – I heard there was a little bit of that during the scrimmage. But, look, that's just one scrimmage, just one look. We don't know exactly what this offense is going to look like, and that's just kind of things that, that I've heard. I don't, I don't have a hard answer for that. But I do believe it's going to be more up-tempo. I do think it's going to be more spread-based. Uh, and one thing I would say is like, okay, Todd Munkin is coming from the NFL – so in the NFL, you hear a lot about how complicated the offensive schemes can be and the playbooks, how big they are, and just how complex things are. But I don't think this is a, is a Brian Schottenheimer situation. Remember when he came back in, in – no, See, that's a lot of things people do ask me is like, why? how do you know this is going to be different from when Shoddy was here? They're two completely different people. Shoddy had never been in college or anything like that. Munkin has excelled in college before. It's not like we're asking him to go somewhere he's never been and been successful in either. Yeah, absolutely. And then and, – Seth Emerson's new book, Attack the Day, on the rise of the Georgia – I guess the resurgence of the Georgia program under Kirby Smart. He had a kind of a funny quote in there from Jeb Blazevich. Blazevich is one of the guys he obviously was getting information from and was interviewing for that book. And he was talking about Brian Schottenheimer and about – and you can tell Blazevich, good guy. Didn't really want to want to rag on Shotty too much. But he's talking about like Shotty had an incredible playbook, but dude, it was so big, so extensive. There's no way – with the constraints of a college program, the 20-hour rule, that you're going to be able to learn all of that when you're going to school at the same time. And you're right, with Schottenheimer being a guy that was new to college, I don't know if he quite got that early on. But Munkin has been in the NFL, sure, but he's also been in the college game. He's been a coordinator. He's been a head coach at the college level. He can simplify things for college guys. He can teach it to college players. I'm not concerned about that. Like, And I've heard some people say, well, yeah, like, how, how do we know it's going to be anything different than Schottenheimer? He was a guy, a hot shot from the NFL. I was like, well, first off, Schottenheimer was never a hot shot anything. Yeah, Schottenheimer got where he was because of his dad. Yeah, I mean, his offenses in the NFL were never, when he got this job, they're always in the lower third of, of the NFL offensive rankings. So different situation. Munkin has led the highest passing offense in the league in the NFL, uh, put up massive numbers at the college level, both as a head coach and a coordinator. So different situation there. I think he, he's fine in terms of simplifying things enough to teach the college players. I do think no spring practice hurts. There's no getting around that, obviously. I think because right, the, I think the biggest thing that that impacts is that Todd Munkin right now is just learning the players that he has to work with and what they can do. So you can watch tape, but it's not the same as getting to watch what these guys can do right now. And what a guy was last year might not be what the guy is this year. And plus, you got the new freshman. Yeah, see how the guy has grown potentially. Absolutely. So he's just now learning what he has to work with. And that's important because it impacts how he constructs the offense. Normally, when you ask him in practice, you can see all these guys you have to work with. You can say, okay, this guy can do this. This guy can do that. I think we should be able to do this with, with this personnel grouping. And you can spend basically from April to fall camp constructing your offense and building it around the talent you have. Well, Munkin didn't really have the opportunity to do that this year because we didn't have fall, our spring practice, and we, he did not really get firsthand look at the guys that he has to work with right now. So he's just now, over the past couple weeks, getting a look at those guys. So that puts us a little bit behind the eight ball. You cannot get around that. And I do think that's magnified by the fact that our schedule is front-loaded, as we've talked about. It would be a lot easier. Yeah, it's great to have Arkansas week one, but then you jump into Auburn and Tennessee and Alabama, and it's like, whoa, whoa, okay. That escalated quickly, right? So that – I think magnifies things. I also think it's exacerbated by the fact that we are also working in a new quarterback who I think is a talented guy. I think he's more talented than the quarterback we had last year, but he's a new quarterback with a new system. So all those things certainly give me pause and I think make this new offensive scheme a, a concern going into the season. Again, not the scheme itself. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the scheme. It's just the factors around implementing the scheme that do give me some concern here. So I think that's something that we, we, we're going to be watching very closely as we get closer into this season and in the first couple of weeks, hopefully we're kind of just uh, we're overreacting to this and, and we're exaggerating the the question of, of this new offensive scheme. But 
I, I do think it's fair right now to have some concerns there. And finally, our number one biggest concern for this 2020 Georgia football team is the kicking game. Yes, the oft-ignored third phase of the game coming in at number one for us. Kurt, you had this ranked as your biggest individual concern coming into the 2020 season. Why are you so concerned about the kicking game this season? Ask any Alabama fan. They'll tell you that's the one thing that make or breaks their games, their close games almost every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they lost to Auburn last year. The kicking game certainly was one of them. Absolutely it was. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. That's the thing I mean, for them year in, year out. Absolutely. But why? The, and we've why, been, you know, blessed with Rod the last couple of years, but we don't have that anymore. So, I mean, we don't, we, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And I think that, and especially in a season like this, that so few games that you can make or break your season with, you know, the way it is. Absolutely. Rodrigo was so good for us, man. He was so good for us. And, and not only are we replacing him, but we're replacing him potentially with a true freshman. And that is scary. Does that not scare you? A true freshman as a kicker? It really does scare me. And I think that's why I have it, you know, as what it is, you know, yeah. And look, it, it, I will say this, it, it actually might help us that road environments like, Oh, I don't know. At Alabama won't be packed houses this year. Cause I mean, can you imagine a true freshman? Yeah, that is the big thing that's really going to change everything. Yeah, I really, I mean, I think I, I, I do feel good about that. But like, can you imagine a true freshman kicker, Jared Zirkle out of Texas, lining up for potential game-winning field goal. We're down by one, down by two. It's a primetime game on CBS at Alabama, packed house. They're going insane. Last play of the game, one second on the clock, trying to knock a 45-yard field goal for the, for the win. Comes down to whether you make this, whether you win or lose the game. You feel good about that? Absolutely I, not. I don't. Now, fortunately, we don't have to worry about the, the packed road environments, but still – it's a true freshman kicker, and that's scary. It's I don't care how talented he is. And look, I, I think Jared Zirkle's talented. I was told he made a 50-yarder during the scrimmage over the weekend. I'm really high on his potential. He's got a big leg. But again, he is a freshman. Even Rodrigo, as great as he ended up being. Kurt, remember how sh- shaky he was as a freshman? Still hadn't earned a scholarship yet. Rodrigo couldn't even consistently kick it in the end zone as a freshman. No, he couldn't at all. And, that was a and he was a redshirt freshman that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, man, like, it's just, it's scary. It's scary to me. It's not just a, a mental standpoint kind of thing. Like, yeah, a freshman kicker had never been in that situation before with not experienced that can mess with his mind if he's in a, in, a, in a win or lose situation. That's tough. But it's not just that. It's also a developmental standpoint. It's just about being able to do it consistently. And you're right, Curtis. So think about how much Rod absolutely improved over the course of his career. He was 36%. Touchback rate as a freshman, 36%. By 2018, as a junior, Rodrigo was hitting touchbacks on 85% of his kicks. And that's a big like, – touchback. the ones that weren't were, it were on purpose, really. Yeah, and the ones – like I think Rodrigo, honestly, the last two years, could have kicked it out of the end zone anytime he wanted to. And the ones that you, that we did, and you're right, I think that was by design uh, with, with, with our special team game plan. I, I firmly believe that. So, like – but that was something Rodrigo had to work on. It wasn't that way as a freshman. It, the consistency was that he could kick in the end zone, but not every time. And I'm concerned that could be the case again this season. And I, and I think kicking the ball in the end zone, getting touchbacks is a big deal. It takes the, the – I mean, you saw how it screwed us in the Tennessee game when Rod was kicking as a freshman. Like, you know, getting in the end zone can really prevent b- bad things from happening. You know, sometimes big plays can happen, especially when you play Alabama. And you got someone like Jalen Waddle back there returning kicks. That guy can change the, the, the momentum of any game with a kick return ability. 
Absolutely. Absolutely he can. There's no doubt about it. He did that last year for Alabama pretty consistently. So, I mean, yeah, like are, are kickoff returns for touchdowns or big kickoffs, are they common? No. But look, if you kick it in the end zone, it takes the potential for a potential game-changing type play like that completely out of, the, out of the equation. It's not there. It's not there. So, yeah, I'm concerned about that. I really am. I'm not going to lie. And, look, I, I still have questions about punter. It's not just kicker for me. I think Kamarda has the talent because we've seen him do it. But we seem to do it occasionally. But for me, occasionally is not good enough. We need consistency. So, Kurt, how do you feel about Kamarda right now? Unsure of really. I mean, you don't. He can. He can do it. But like you said, it's the consistency. Yeah, I've seen the guy do it. I know he can do it. That's not my concern. My concern is, can you do it consistently when it's late in the fourth quarter and we need to pin you deep, uh, pin the team deep, so we can get the ball back and try to get a go on a game winning drive. Can he do that consistently, or is he going to shake it out of bounds like we've seen him do? I'm not saying all the time, but we've seen him do it a couple of times, too many times in big situations. And I know he was young. I know he was young. So hopefully, so hopefully he is now developed into a more consistent player, but we don't know that yet. Is he ready for that? I hope so. I really hope so. But we don't know that yet. So, look, I, I know the kicking game and special teams really in general gets ignored a lot of the time. But when you have a team that is otherwise ready to compete for a national title – the kicking game can absolutely be the difference between winning a title and not winning a title. The margins are often just, they're often that thin between the best teams in the country and it can be the difference. So yeah, this is my number one concern. I'm, I'm with you, Kurt. I had this with you also as my number one concern going into this season. And I, I hope it's, 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 it's something that I'm just overreacting to right now, but I do think this is a very legitimate concern that I don't really hear a lot of people talking about. I think it's something that we should be focusing on a lot more than we have throughout this offseason. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us here today on the show. We always appreciate that. And I also want to remind you before we get out of here today to check back later in the week. We should have it up sometime on Thursday night. But we are interviewing Seth Emerson of The Athletic. He's been covering the Georgia Beat for a long time. He's got a fantastic new book out, so he's going to be kind enough to join us on Thursday. We're really excited about that interview. We've never had Seth on the show, so that should be a lot of fun, and I strongly encourage you guys to check back in to listen to that show. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, guys, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>